pleasure to see all of you this evening. Appreciate you being here and being a part of this meeting this week. It has been pure joy. Uh, Brother Josh got up and talked about his uh, daughter was talking about how wonderful it was to get together today. And I got all excited there and thought she's going to talk to you about evangelism and evangelist and all that. And we were that close, just that close. But on the way home, I want you to talk to her about it if she hadn't already visited with you about it. Oh, great to be here. I want to talk to you, and I want to give you some background to what I want to talk to you about. Uh, some of you have known Lisa and I since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, as they say, when we were youngins. And uh, we've grown up and spent a lot of time since then, a lot of water under the bridge. Some of you may be first time here, so I'm going to give you the full background. Some of you already know, but Lisa and I had four daughters. We had a daughter, Elizabeth, after we had been married. We married 83, Elizabeth was born 85. And four years later, we decided to have a second child, and that second child was twins. And uh, then we thought we were done, and we had another child, and ended up being four girls. Somewhere in the middle of the Right after Elizabeth was born, someone shared with us a video of a guy. Not a scripture was used in the video, but it was a sergeant, and the sergeant's name was Bud Holsey. And he was a sergeant of a police department in Oregon, and he had worked with a lot of youth related to drugs and alcohol. And the name of the video was called Three Ways to Keep Your Kids Off Drugs. And that's what I've titled my sermon tonight because I have stolen his message but his message was a spiritual message that he was going into schools and he couldn't use scripture and those kind of things but the principles that he taught really influenced Lisa and I when we were raising our kids and I'll share some of that with you tonight as well if you're interested in those videos in fact it was Lisa and I honestly have watched those videos multiple times. They came on a VHS, you know, the old school. If you were to watch them today, you wouldn't have to watch them on a VHS, but it's still going to look really old in the video quality and the guys wearing a microphone and the cord on the microphones running out the, the stage that long, and it's kind of dorky looking nowadays, but, but for its time, it was, you know, state of the art. It was impressive stuff. But it was not really the video, it's the, the message of the video that stood out to Lisa and I. And there were a lot of techniques that this guy talked about in Three Ways to Keep Your Kids Off Drugs. And I'll kind of explain to you his program. He had two programs. One was Three Ways to Keep Your Kids Off Drugs, and he would do that to the parents at night at a particular school district. And the other part of his message was high on life, not on drugs, and he gave that to the, to the kids during school. Time. So he had really two programs that he did, and both of those videos. Well, anyway, long story short, we've had those videos through the years, and it's meant a lot to us, and the message of those videos have been a lot. We've shared it with a lot of other people along the way. But I actually wanted to put those, you know, YouTube came along, and I wanted those videos to be on YouTube because they weren't. And I contacted Bud Holsey. Now, I want to tell you, 40 years has gone by since he made those videos, and I sent him an email. I located him, and he is actually a politician in Tennessee now and is like a state legislator, state senator, something like that in Tennessee. And I sent him an email, and I didn't know if he would get it. I didn't know. I just shot him an email, and I said, Hey, I, I, the videos have really meant a lot to Lisa and I through the years. Would love to, 
to post these on YouTube, but I wouldn't do it without your permission and, and just wanted to see what he'd say. He responded to that email and gave me permission to post them on YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel, young people. I just want to let you know. Now, you may not know, but my first name is Larry. So to find that YouTube channel, you'd have to go to Larry Fleming and then Bud Holsey, and I guarantee you those videos will come up, and you too can watch those videos, and you'll see some of the message that, that he taught in those schools about keeping kids off drugs and then teaching kids how to be high on life and not on drugs. Now, that being said, I've got, kind of got the disclaimers out of the way. You'll understand and appreciate some of the things I'm going to share with you, but take some time and go and watch those videos. I know they're 1980 videos, but in the last year, they have a, had over 100 views. So, I mean, it's really taking off. It's, it's, it's gone viral, you know, as they say. So it's very impressive. But anyway, that being said, our lesson tonight is three ways to keep your kids off drugs. And I've taken his basic principles and I put scripture to those. And I want to share with you some of the things Lisa and I did. We raised our kids and we loved raising kids. We enjoyed our kids. Uh, you know, sometimes today Lisa and I see young parents that don't seem to enjoy their families. They, they want to try to get away from their kids and all that. We, we loved it. We embraced it. We had a good time with our girls. Uh, my oldest daughter decided to get married at some point in time. And, and I, you know, it's a real privilege for a father to walk his daughter down the aisle. And I walked my, daughter, my first daughter down the aisle and gave her hand to a young man in marriage. And uh, I'm not going to say I cried because uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say my eyes watered extensively, and uh, people said it was the saddest wedding they had ever gone to. I was brokenhearted that my daughter had been given off to this hairy-legged rascal. Now, I will tell you that son-in-law has been a blessing to our family, and we've really enjoyed him through the years. Uh, they now have a 14 or 15-year-old, however old our first grandson is. And so that gives you an idea how long ago that was. But, but I, I don't tell anyone, but I cried like a baby through that wedding. Well, our second child got married. And I will say my eyes watered a little. Our third child got married. And my eyes really were not that wet. Let's put it that way. And by the time our fourth one married, she was 24 years old. We were skipping down the aisle. You know what I mean? It's just Lisa and I left at the house. It's a whole different environment than it once was. That kind of thing. We were enjoying the fact it's just Lisa and I. And since then, Lisa and I have been having a good time being grandparents on the weekends. And oh, blessed headlights when the grandchildren go home. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we love our grandkids and loved our kids. Embrace the experience. There's different phases and seasons of life. And we enjoy the season that we're in right now as well. It's a blessing to us. But I want to share some things with you. Maybe you're a young parent here tonight. Maybe you're wondering about tools and techniques and things like that that might help you in raising your children. I want to share some of the things Lisa and I did, but I'm telling you it wasn't us alone. We, we stole ideas from Jay and Gay Henderson because they were a big influence to us. We stole ideas from Bud and Margaret Jones. I don't know if he's ever been in, in Wheeler and Allison talking about family and stuff like that. Bud and Margaret meant the world to us as young parents. And I miss his teaching today. I'm not saying it's over. I'm just saying we don't get to hear it often enough today. I love to listen to Bud 
to teach and then in some private settings to spend time with Sister Margaret. I mean, we've taken a lot of techniques from a lot of people through the years. But Bud Halsey was one of those individuals that meant a lot to Lisa and I. We shared a lot of things related to Bud Halsey. So let's start. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, one of the first things I just want you to notice as we talk about this subject tonight, when we talk about drugs tonight, alcohol is a drug. We're talking about drugs and alcohol. We're talking about things that alter your mental state. Okay? And the Bible says wine's a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What Solomon is saying is, you're a fool if you're deceived by alcohol. That's what that verse means. If you let alcohol or drugs deceive you into thinking you're getting something in return, you're a fool for doing that. That is not a good plan. It's not a good idea. It will destroy you. There's not a person here today, a young person here today. We love you. We care about you. We want good for you. We do not want to see you destroyed. And I'm telling you, alcohol and drugs will destroy you. It's not worth going there. Now I will tell you, I was a pretty straight-laced kid. I've never drunk alcohol. And I've never drunk alcohol because I never had a desire to drink alcohol. But I can tell you some of the reasons why I didn't have a desire to drink alcohol. My granddad on my mother's side, not my granddad on my dad's side, but the granddad on my mother's side, I'm going to tell you a true story. That granddad drove my mother and her five siblings, six siblings, drove them to Arkansas in the hills of Arkansas in 1950-something and abandoned them like little puppies on the side of the road and disappeared for the next 40 years. You want to know the reason for it in very simplistic terms? You want to know the reason? Alcohol. He was a lush, what you would call a lush. He was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. And my grandmother and her children, including my mother, hitchhiked, well, two of them with my grandmother, hitchhiked back to Oklahoma. She became a fry cook, and she cooked some of the best hamburgers you ever put in your mouth. I tasted them as a child growing up. That woman could cook a hamburger, greasy as all get out, but it had flavor to it. She knew how to cook a hamburger. But she did that to try to raise enough money to send money back to Arkansas. So my mother's 15-year-old brother, my mother was eight at the time, her 15-year-old brother bought a car in Arkansas and drove the rest of the kids back to Oklahoma to rejoin their mother. And they had been abandoned by their granddad. I never met that man. Never. My mom did not see that man again until she was 40 years old. That man abandoned his family. Alcohol will destroy you. It will destroy your family. Guess what? One of the things was we never had in our home growing up. Alcohol. Had no desire to have it in our home. We knew the destruction that could come from alcohol. We didn't want alcohol in our home. Lisa and I, we got together, made a home, had children. We didn't have alcohol in our home. 
And there's a real tendency nowadays, people, and I, I promise you, there's people who go, well, it's okay to take one drink, and the Bible just says don't get drunk and all that. I'm not, I'm not saying that those words are not true. Not saying that at all. I'm telling you that if you're deceived by alcohol, though, you're a fool. And I am telling you there's more issues to alcohol than just one drink. And, and we can go to passages like take a little wine for your stomach's sake and, and then we can talk about medicinal reasons for taking and things like that. Yeah, I get it. But I'm telling you there are a ton of folks deceived by alcohol. They think there's something special there. And what it is is destruction. And I can tell you in the years of church ministry that Lisa and I have been involved in, the number of homes that we have sat in and alcohol had destroyed that home. It had separated moms and dads and separated kids from family. It had destroyed families and left a wake of destruction behind them like a tornado came through the family and alcohol was a huge portion of those issues. We didn't want alcohol. I had a granddad that was a drunk. We didn't want that in our family. We, Lisa and I wanted something different. I've shared enough with you already this week that you know my mom and dad ultimately went through a divorce. And I'm going to tell you honestly, and I'm not a psychoanalyst and all that sort of stuff, but I'm going to tell you as a member of that family what I honestly believe happened. In that, and I love my mom. And my mom loved me. And I was raised in a Christian home in the sense that my mom loved us, cared for us. I wasn't abused. I wasn't sexually abused, emotionally abused, physically abused. But my mom married a good man. My mom got to be about 45, 50 years old. And honestly, I think she felt guilty because she didn't deserve a good man. And a lot of that takes its roots back to this very issue we're talking about. Her dad didn't see any value in her. Dumped her off on the side of the road. And her entire life, by the time she married dad, she felt like all of her brothers and sisters had gone through multiple divorces, had gone through multiple alcohol and drug crises, had been drug dealers and all that. We didn't spend a lot of time with that side of the family. We saw the destruction that was happening in that family. We didn't want it for our family. And it's heartbreaking. And I'm telling you, it's real. We could sit here today and talk about, well, yeah, granddad was a drunk. It isn't that simple, guys. I'm telling you, it's destruction that happens in a family with that kind of stuff. And that's what happened with my mom's family. And the repercussions of that, Lisa and I and our family live with today. To this day, and I take a lot of it back to a decision my granddad made years ago, back in 1950-whatever, and left his grandchildren out on the hills of Arkansas without a vehicle, without a place to stay, without any money in their pocket. And I know life is more complex than some of that. I grant you, I, I recognize it. I'm not ignorant. That grandfather probably had a father or a mother or something that probably put him in some of those positions or experiences or those kind of things. I recognize that. But I'm telling you, it did not bring anything but destruction to our home. And Lisa and I are early married. We've got young kids. I had a Christian mom, I believed. And my mom made a decision she was going to walk away from my dad. She's going to go live with other men, be married to other people, participate in activities that were not good, encourage my siblings to do things they should not do. All related back to these issues right here. And praise God tonight, and I praise God tonight, my mom ultimately has come back to the Lord's church. I'm thankful for that. I am blessed in that. 
But I'm telling you the consequences for that action live with our family to this day. To this day, we still deal with issues related to what went on and the, and the destruction and the chaos that took place in that home. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And that verse stands true. If you're going to let alcohol and drugs deceive you, you're a fool. That's what the verse says. Okay? Now, there's a couple of reasons that you might talk on drugs and alcohol. One reason might be to encourage our young parents in making parenting decisions about alcohol and drugs. One reason we might talk about this is to encourage older Christians who may be affected to get the help they need. And we as a church are concerned about people that are affected by alcohol and drugs, and we do want them to get the help that they need. One reason to talk about these issues is to help older Christian parents that are struggling with decisions from the past and still having to deal with the consequences of a lot of those decisions. But I will tell you tonight, I'm not dealing with number two and number three. It's not the purpose of the sermon tonight. The purpose of the sermon tonight is number one. I want to encourage our young parents in the decisions they're making and raising their families. Now, I will tell you, Lisa and I raised four girls. I'm not bragging tonight at all. I really am not. I, I am telling you that, that my girls had a good mama, and Lisa was a powerful influence in their lives. I think I was an influence in their life, but Lisa was a powerful influence in their life. All four of our girls, at this moment in time, as we stand tonight, have married godly men that have been amazing to their wives. They honor and respect and love their wives. And we are blessed. I told you they all graduated from college. I told you that they are, they're all school teachers. They love children. They love to try to help others. They're evangelistically minded. That's the kind of people that they are. I'm not saying they're perfect people by any stretch, but I am telling you a couple of things. Do you know what the standard for parenting has become in America today? Your child wasn't on drugs and didn't get pregnant, you're a good parent. And I'm telling you the standard ought to be a lot higher than that. And I want to encourage our parents, your standard for your children ought to be a lot higher than that. You ought to want for your children everything possible for them to be successful spiritually for your children. Do not misunderstand me. I recognize there are parents who want that and children still make decisions that you would not make. I understand that. But I can tell you a couple of things that we did not do and I'm not saying it's the standard of our parenting but we never had a daughter one time ever called home drunk, not one time ever. If they ever tasted alcohol, I didn't know it. I'm not saying they didn't. I will never stand in front of an audience and say that. I'm not claiming to know everything that my children did in every context. But I'm telling you, not one time did they call home drunk or need a ride home because they were drunk or were brought home because they were drunk. Not one night spent in jail. I can't say that for my sons-in-law, but I can say that for my daughters. They, did, they never spent a night in jail. And they're good people. And the only reason why I tell you that story today is I come from you today from a place of love. I come to you today from a place of experience. We've been parents. We've gone through difficult teenage years. They weren't always easy. 
We had conversations in our room, long stories to tell you some of those things, but we had one daughter one night, she was just nose to nose with her mother over something, and she was in deep, heavy discussion and argument with her mother. She was right smack in the middle of those teenage years. And I walked in on that discussion, and I said to her, stop, 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 we are not doing that. You will not have that discussion with your mother, and you're not going to have that discussion with her in that tone of voice, and you're not going to have that discussion with her the way you're having that discussion at all. There is no one. Tell me one person anywhere, anywhere that loves you any more than that woman loves you. And if she said no, there's a reason she said no. She doesn't have to tell you all the reasons. She said no because she loves you and cares about you and wants what's good for you. You may get older and make different decisions along the way. But tonight, her decision will stand and the decision is no. She loves you and cares about you. And she doesn't have to tell you every detail of everything in the background as to all the reasons why. I realize you don't know all the context of that conversation. I'm telling you the story to tell you we've had experiences as parents. I know it's easy for a congregation of people to go, oh, well, you're a preacher and she's a preacher's wife. Y'all's family's perfect and all. It's just not true. We have struggles and challenges and all that, but I am telling you that at the end of the story, our girls graduated high school and graduated college and became teachers and their wives and their mothers today. And we're very blessed. We, we actually, Lisa and I, and it's a true blessing, we can actually have everybody in our house at Thanksgiving, all sons-in-law, all daughters, all grandchildren, and everyone get along. And everyone have a good time for a few days. I don't know how long that would last. Maybe five or six days might be the limit. I don't know. But I'm telling you, we can all be in the same room. And my daughters have some excellent husbands that have been wonderful men to them and good godly fathers to my grandchildren. And I'm telling you that as a father of four girls, that is huge. And it is a blessing. And I'm telling you, Lisa and I give thanks and we're down on our knees every day giving thanks for the fact that we have been very blessed in that. But I'm telling you, some of that happens because of decisions you're making. And those decisions, our daughters could have made different decisions and made life horrendous for us. But they didn't. They chose different paths. So here's the three principles that Bud Holsey talks about. Number one, one of the things you want to do is to build character and responsibility in your children. I want you to remember that. There's going to be three ways to keep kids off of drugs tonight. And the first one is to build character and responsibility in your children. I'm going to explain to you a little bit about what he meant by that. He said that when he was raising his kids, his kids were smaller. He said what they tried to do in their home was honor the things that deserved to be honored, and they did not honor the things that were not worthy of honor. So we didn't spend a lot of time bragging on how good-looking they were. What we did was honor the things that deserved honor. So, for instance, let's say a child is going to school and a child comes home with straight A's. He said he would drive and he would sit at the, at the stop sign. He would roll his window down. That, that'll date you. Any young people know what that symbol means? It's kind of the same thing as this. Y'all know what this is? Anyway, he'd roll his window down. And he'd go, hey world! Elizabeth made straight A's today. That's a character decision. We honor character decisions. 
Because she's making straight A's. She's working hard. And we're going to work to build character and responsibility in our children. And Lisa and I took that principle. And my girls today, you feel free to call them tonight if you want to. They know what that means. They know what it means to say, Hey world, Elizabeth made straight A's tonight. We're going to build character and responsibility in our children. That's a character decision. Elizabeth made a character decision. We honor character decisions. Maybe your children come in and they tell the truth about something. Hey world, Hannah told the truth in this situation. Character decision. We honor character decision. You know what the Bible says? In a minute I'll get there. Here's what you do is you recognize character and responsibility, like, just like what I was talking to you about. Here's what the Bible says. I knew I was going to get to that slide. Proverbs 3 and verse number 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that gets understanding. Do you know what happens when you honor or build character and, and, uh, and integrity in your children and responsibility in your children? You're teaching them wisdom. And happy is the man that finds wisdom. Wisdom is not an easy thing. Wisdom comes from experience. Wisdom is an application of knowledge in a certain way. And the man that gets understanding. I wanted my children to understand. I wanted my children to understand how life works. I wanted my children to understand how babies came along. How all those things about how... I want my children to understand those things. I want my children to have wisdom. I want them to understand the destruction alcohol can, can make in their home or drug use can happen in the home, that kind of thing. These, these things will destroy you. And there is no one that loves you any more than mom and dad love you. We love you. We care about you. There is no one, no one in the world loves you any more than your mom and dad. We want our children to know that. And for them to get wisdom, maybe we, with our children, could honor the things like we're going to memorize the scripture whatever the scripture would be. Let's say it's Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And on the way home from church, he go, Hey, Amy, what's Romans 1 and 16? And she goes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Hey, world! That's a character decision. She's working, she's working to find wisdom and getting understanding about God's word. We teach God's word. I'm telling you, in too, often, too often today, in too many homes today, our kids are sitting through church, <sighs> bored. And we go home from church and we never talk to them about church. We never talk to them about what's happening behind the scenes at church, why it's important. What, why to connect with the church? Why that's important to you? And we don't do that. And I just want to make a recommendation to you. It's a technique Lisa and I have taken on through the years. We go pick our kids up from school, sit in line for a while, and then our kids would get in the back seat. And I'd go, hey, Elizabeth, what was the best thing you did at school today? And we'd ask that question all the time. What's the best thing you did at school today? Now, we could say, what's the worst thing you did? And there might be a laundry list. Math, English, I don't know. But what's the best thing you did in school today? P.E., it didn't matter what the answer was. What mattered was is they were at school. And hey, world, they're learning. They're getting wisdom. They're getting understanding. 
They're learning mathematics. They're learning how to read. They're learning how to write. They're learning how to do things and learning science and those kind of things. They're getting wisdom and understanding about how the world works. Hey world, we're going to honor things that build character in our children. We didn't spend a lot of time on, man, you swing that bat good, girl. Not saying that's an evil thing to do. I'm just saying we didn't spend a lot of time on that. Because I'm telling you, at the end of the day, that was amazing. Never seen anybody swing a bat like that. Because I'm telling you, at the end of the story, I can care less whether my children swing a bat, but I care about whether they go to heaven or not. Our children were in band, and we did all the school stuff, just like y'all do. We're not ignorant of those things. Lisa and I were president and secretary treasurer of the band booster club and all that stuff. We hold all kinds of ice chests everywhere to football games. And we had a girl that played a trumpet, a girl that played a saxophone, a girl that played a clarinet, and a girl that played a flute. About forgot what instrument it was. You know what happened when they graduated high school? Man, they did solo and ensemble and region and all that sort of stuff. Went to football games, played marching contests, all that sort of stuff. You know what they did when they graduated high school with those instruments? You know where those instruments are today? I promise you they hadn't played a five seconds since they graduated high school. But yet some parents, oh, that's the most amazing thing, children, that you can play in the band. That's wonderful, children. You can play in the band. I'm not against the band. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, what did the band do for them? Their instruments sat aside in a closet somewhere. That's what band did for them. Maybe band to get you through college. Maybe you can get a scholarship with, with an instrument. Maybe. And what a wonderful thing. Somebody's helping to pay for your education. Not saying that's not a good thing. I'm just saying at the end of the day, where's that instrument going to get you? Got you a college education. Great. Do you really think I want my daughter playing an instrument at Carnegie Hall and living in New York City? You really think I want that for my children? I don't want that for my children. You know what I want for my children? I want to go to heaven. That's what I want for my children. And I don't want that more than anything else. And do not misunderstand me. I'm not against band and I'm not against all the sports and those kind of things. I'm just saying they have their place. And they got to be in perspective to the important things. You build character and responsibility in your children. And you honor the character and responsibility things. And you say to, your, to the world, hey world, my daughter made a character decision. She was, made a responsible decision. We're going to honor that in our home. We got that technique from Bud Holsey. Our children didn't know it for years, and our children turned into 20 years old, and we played them the VHS and said, just want y'all to see a few things, girls. And as they watched it, they went, really? <laughs> really? Really? Again, really? Because they realized that all of our parenting techniques came from Bud Holsey. Three ways to keep your kids off drugs. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart and the wisdom. You know what you want to teach your children to do? Apply their hearts to wisdom. That's character decisions. And when they're applying their heart to wisdom, we're going to honor those things in our home. Another thing I would encourage you as parents is don't be hypocritical in that concept. 
in teaching character and responsibility in your children. Don't be hypocritical about it. You're going, oh, children, do not drink. It wasn't two weeks ago, I was on a job site with a guy, and he was going, well, I don't let my children see me drink. Good job. I'm sure that helps. I'm telling you, all that did is destroy your children's faith in you, is what that did. All they did was they saw hypocrisy. Mom and dad not really living up to it. And don't get me wrong. Lisa and I were not perfect parents. We made mistakes along the way. But let me tell you, when we made mistakes, we bowed the knee in front of the children and we said we're sorry for what it was we did. We violated the standard. The standard is the word of God. And we violated it. We made a mistake. That was our standard in our home. And I promise you, if you put the standard down here, your children will hit it every time. But you put the standard up here, you're going to honor the fact that they are applying themselves to wisdom and integrity and responsibility and character. And children can do it. Children do not have to be worldly children to be well-developed children in this world. Don't be hypocritical. There's a passage of scripture, Romans chapter 2, that says, Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Basically, this verse is basically saying, if you're telling your kids not to steal, don't steal. Don't be hypocritical about it. Because you're just being fake if you're doing that. And you say, well, this, that seems kind of odd. But I'm telling you, in our congregation, through the years of the last 20 years of our congregation... We've had parents that have come through our doors, I promise you, that have said to their children, oh no, we don't steal, the Bible says you shouldn't steal, and they were stealing. And then we've had parents that came through the door and taught their children how to steal. Blows your mind. They're destroying their children when they do that kind of stuff. Don't be hypocritical about it. Number two, good discipline coupled with love. And I know sometimes the, the concept of disciplining children is a concept that just is, is bothersome to some people. But I'm telling you, children want good discipline. Let me tell you what you do when, you're, when they're children is you create or when, what a why a child likes discipline. And I, I'm telling you honestly, I'm not saying it feels good for the moment. I'm saying they like discipline. Because in discipline, if it's discipline coupled with love, it shows your children you love them. It, it gives security. It wraps them up in security. And when you do not discipline your child, your child does not feel love. And I want you to remember that. Your child does not feel love. I promise you today, you feel free to call them. I'll give you their numbers. You ask my children if they know I love them. And I mean no. Down deep in their heart of hearts, does your dad love you? Does your mom love you? They know that answer. Because we had expectations for them. We had structure and we expected them to have a certain amount of structure in their life to be able to discipline themselves. Now when, when I use the term discipline, there's probably certain things that come to mind like spanking your children, things like that. That's not even really what I'm talking about. may include those things, but it's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about teaching a child to be able to control his body or her body is the case of be. In our case, it was girls. We were trying to teach them, you can control what you do with your body. 
You can control what you think. You can control what you say. You can control what you touch. You can control whether you're standing or running and all those kind of things. In our congregation at home, we've got a rule, don't run in the building. Kids still run in the building. But we still say, don't run in the building. We're not going to run in the building. What are we doing? Are, are they dying and going to hell because they ran in the building? Of course not. We're teaching our children discipline. We're teaching our children to control themselves. We're teaching our children to control their bodies. And they can do it. But it takes training to do that. A child left to himself, the Bible says, will bring his mother shame. A child wants discipline. And let me explain it to you this way. When a child is very young, and, and meaning that, that he's, uh, he or she is a, a baby... We're going to create boundaries for that child. We're going to lay that child down on a floor, and it's good, that child's going to be on a pallet or something. We're going to put pillows around that child. We're going to protect that child. You know what you're doing when you do that? You love your child. You're going to give boundaries to your child. Then your child turns and starts standing up and starts wanting to walk, and pretty soon, maybe you put it inside a crib. You know what you're doing when you put a child inside a crib? Whatever. What's it? Uh, pack-and-play thing, whatever. They didn't call it that when I was raising kids. But you put a, a child inside a pack-and-play. You know what you're doing? You're creating boundaries for your child. You're saying, hey, enjoy yourself in this space right here, but I don't want you going any further than this. You know, as a child gets a little older, we create more boundaries, and we put a gate at the stairs. They're two years old, whatever. We put a gate at the back door, and we put keyed locks so they can't figure out how to get the door open and all that. What are we doing? We're creating boundaries for a child. I'm telling you, when a child is 15 years old, they need boundaries. And sending a child out and say, well, just go have fun, is not creating boundaries. That child, I promise you, feels unloved. That child is hurting because mom doesn't even care enough about me to tell me no or to give me a boundary that says I can't do that. Your children want, it wraps them up in security for a child to be able to discipline themselves and know that their parents have expectations of discipline for them and expectations of behavior. They can do it. They can control themselves, but it takes training to do that. And a lot of times we as parents, we go, well, we want our children to express themselves. We want our children to figure their own path and all that sort of stuff. No, you don't. That's the last thing you want. You want your children to know how to think, not what to think, how to think. The last thing you want to do is send your children out and say, find yourself. There's no telling what they'll find. I love my children more than that. And your children, as they get 18, 19, still need boundaries. The boundaries may be broader because they're wanting to flee the nest and fly the coop or whatever, but they still want boundaries. There's acceptable levels of behavior in our home today. Those are boundaries. Our children know what's not acceptable levels of behavior in our home. There were certain words that we don't use in our home. I'm not even saying they were cuss words. You know, when a child is little, you say, oh, that's a bad word. And as the child grows up, they hear uncle so-and-so say that word. Well, technically, the word wasn't a cuss word. It was maybe an inappropriate word. And as a child grows up and matures and they gain wisdom and understanding, a child begins to understand the nuance of language and there's a difference between a cuss word, an inappropriate word, and a godly word. There's differences in those things. 
And children can understand that. They develop. They're developing emotionally and intellectually and all those, all those things that's an important aspect of raising kids. You want them to develop that way. But even as our daughters started dating young men, those young men brought words into our home that we don't use in our home. And there were times we'd have to pull young men aside and go, hey, we don't use that word. I know you may have grown up with it, and I know that may be a word used. I'm not saying you're cussing. I'm just saying it's not the word. What, what, what is dad doing when he does that? I'm setting boundaries in my home. I'm expect, expecting certain levels of behavior. And I can tell you this. I'm, I'm just telling you right now that I can go off and chase other women. And I promise you, if I decided I was going to go off and chase other women and live a drunken whatever lifestyle, and that's what I wanted to go do. I had free will choice to go do those things. But I've chosen not to do that. I don't want to do those. I love my wife. I care about my wife. I love our family, etc. I care about our family. But I could go do that. And if I did that, you know what my girls would expect? You're outside the boundaries. Because you've established boundaries in our home, and now you've violated those boundaries in our home. And they wouldn't want to sit down with dad and act like everything's okay and everybody have a beer. They wouldn't be acting that way. You know what they'd be doing? They'd be going, Dad, you violated a boundary in our home. That's wrong. That's right and wrong is what we're teaching in the concept. And the same thing would be true of mom. Mom can go make whatever decision mom wants to go make, but mom doesn't make those decisions. We're setting boundaries in our home. We expect those same boundaries for our children. I don't want my child to be making those kind of decisions because I want my child to understand, as, especially as they're little and they're growing up, how to discipline themselves and control themselves, control their bodies, control what they're thinking, control what they're doing. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. If a person doesn't, can't control his own spirit, he's got a problem. You've got to be able to control yourself and the decisions you make and how you make the decisions and what you do and where you go. You've got, if a person doesn't rule his own spirit, he's like a city broken down. I'm telling you, we are suffering in our culture today. We are struggling in our culture today because we have a generation of untrained people raising a generation of untrained, absolutely untrained children. They grow up and they don't have any clue how to be a parent or any clue how to control themselves or expect control. Hebrews 12 and 7 says, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Dads, your children know you love them when you expect good things from them and you expect levels of behavior from them. It, chastening is not fun for the moment. It's not fun to be in trouble with your dad. But I'm telling you, a dad that's brave enough to say, we're not doing that, is saying, I love you. I care about you. I don't want you in the parking lot chasing mufflers and counting mufflers in the parking lot. You'll get killed out there. I love you enough to tell you, don't do that. I want my child to control his or her spirit as the case would be. Titus 2 and 4, older women teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Uh, and you think about that for a moment. Older women have a responsibility to teach younger women to love. How, how do you teach somebody to love somebody? Because they can control who they love and what they love. It's a decision that they make. 
Proverbs 22, verse number 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do you know what I expect children to do? Foolish stuff. Because they're kids. Kids do foolish stuff. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But you know what I expect parents to do? Parent. Because that's what parents ought to be doing, is they need to be instructing and teaching. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. I expect the foolishness, but I expect the parenting. I want you to look at this verse, Psalm 32 and 8. And here's the goal of parenting. If you want to know the secret of parenting, here it is. And it's Psalm 32 and 8. I will instruct thee. I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And I will tell you, the goal is not beating your children. The goal is not whipping your children. The goal is not spanking your children. The goal is to have your children understand that when I look at them, the behavior straightens. Because I can guide them with my eye. That's what you're trying to do with your children. You're not trying to spank them. You're not trying to, it may need some spanking at certain times. That you do not want the first time your child ever heard the word no to be at, with a police officer on the side of the road somewhere. That doesn't need to be the first time they hear the word no. They ought to know what no means. They heard it from mom and dad. They understand boundaries. I'm telling you, when they get boundaries from mom and dad, they, are, they have a security that says, my mom loves me, my dad loves me. But the goal of parenting is you want to guide them with your eye. So, number one is you want to build character and responsibility in your children. And number two, you want discipline coupled with love. And it needs to be loving discipline. You disciple a child. That's where the word discipline comes from. You're teaching them how to control themselves. That they're in control of their own spirit. That's discipline. That's like a, a military, having good discipline. Okay, That's not good spanking. That's good control. They, they, they will... Follow orders. They'll do what it is that they're told to do. And number three, spend quality time with your children. I want to spend just a couple of minutes, and I'm sorry I'm running a little bit long tonight. I get passionate about some of this stuff sometimes. But, you know, Lisa and I were married for several years. We never took a vacation. And after about seven or eight years of marriage, we didn't have any money at all. I mean, we were trying to do church work on a budget and and drive junky cars and, and, and everything we could possibly do to try to stay alive because we wanted to do church mission type work, ministry type work. That's what we wanted to do. But after about, I don't know, about eight years, our kids were little and we said, let's load up the bicycles and let's load up an ice chest and we'll eat sandwiches, but we're going to go up to Huntsville State Park. And y'all may not know Huntsville State Park, but it's just a wooded area and they've got cabins that have screen on them and that's all you kind of keep you when you're sleeping at night in your in your sleeping bag and keep you out of the mosquitoes and uh, let's go spend a few days in Huntsville State Park it's called vacationing on a budget is what it's called we came home from those few days and I looked at Lisa and I said every year we're gonna do something together as a family it's important to us and I'm telling you, it was important to us as the years went on. You build memories and you build bonds with your children when you spend time with them. And I'm telling you, sometimes it doesn't have to be an elaborate vacation. It does not have to be Disney World. Now, we have been to Disney World a couple of times. Our kids were in band and they go to Disney World. And 
I've never seen the kind of money. I love Mark Parkhurst. I love him with all my heart. Mark Parkhurst has one of the greatest descriptions of Disney World I've ever heard. He said it's kind of like standing on a hot parking lot in a 102 degree day and somebody's spraying a water hose on you and you're throwing $100 bills up in the air. That's Disney World, you know. But I'm telling you, you don't have to do Disney World to spend quality time with your children. I'm not talking about quantity time. I'm talking about quality time. Spend some time talking, discuss with your kids. I told you a minute ago about coming home from school and, and asking the the kids, hey, what was the best thing you had today? What, what happened to you today? What was the best thing that happened in school today? And my kids, that's about all you'd have to ask. And I'm telling you, it's a great technique because the kids are just chatter, 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 chatter all the way home. All this happened and that happened. Oh, it was great. And then a little Susie over here, a little whatever. And they just talk. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're teaching your children to talk to you. Too many families today are sitting around the dinner table or not. They're not sitting around the dinner table at all. They're going in the living room. They're turning on the TV or maybe they're playing with their phones and everybody's in the living room, but we all got our phone on. Nobody's talking to one another. You don't get to know one another. You're not sharing with each other. You're not, as parents, instructing wisdom to your children. I'm not saying every word that comes out of your mouth is going to be wisdom. I'm telling you that if you're not talking to your kids, they won't get the wisdom that you can share with them along the way. And we are suffering as a culture in this way. You need to spend quality time with your children. I want to encourage you when you leave every church service, talk to your kids about the sermon. Talk to them about the best thing that happened at church that morning. Talk to them about what happened in the sermon. What scriptures did he use? What, uh, what was the main points? Tonight, go home and say, what were the three ways to keep your kids off drugs? And they ought to be able to say to you, to build character and responsibility in your children, discipline couple with love, and spend quality time with your children. They ought to be able to walk out of here tonight and do that. Children are very smart. They can do this. I promise you they can. They need a mom and dad that sets boundaries, has expectations. You know what you're doing when you do that as well? You're setting expectations for your child. You're saying that when we go to church, we're paying attention in church. We're going to listen to what's going on in church. Because the first time you ask the question, let's say they go home tonight, and some of your children will go, uh, I've never been asked before what the service was about. I don't know. I ain't got a clue. I, was, I just really didn't. I heard him talking. I'm just not sure what he talked about. But I promise you, it doesn't take but about two or three, and pretty soon they're snapping off what he talked about because you're expecting them to pay attention. You're expecting them to know what's going on at church. Spend quality time with your children. Lisa and I, from that time, every year, have tried to make time. We still do that just with Lisa and I. Try to make time for Lisa and I. Try to make time for memories, things that bond us together, things that bond a family together. And I, as a father, and I'm not saying spend a bunch of money doing it. I know it's a challenge, and I know it's a challenge in our speedy life to stop things long enough to do that sometimes. But your children need it. Your family needs it. You need to spend time together and, and build memories, build bonding experiences together. That's what will draw a family together. Being at church, there's more to being at church than just coming and sitting on a pew those are bonding experiences. It's fun to go home and go, can you believe the preacher fell off the stage? Wasn't that hilarious? I'm glad he was okay, but wasn't that hilarious? There's some of the funniest stuff I happen at church, and you get to talk about it with your kids, and you build memories with your kids, and you build bonding experiences with your kids, and some of you are wondering, is he going to fall off the stage? Right? Look at this. 
Let me tell you what you don't want. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and verse number 12, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. And if you're not familiar with some Bible terms, that's essentially like saying, I'm worshiping the devil, I'm worshiping Satan. They were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The sons of Eli were the sons of the devil. They didn't know the Lord. That's what every dad wants. Yes, I want my children to be the devil. Yes. Our, one of our twins, Amy, uh, was really expecting a child. I mean, she was close. And they were waiting, trying to decide what to name the child. And they, Jameson wanted it to be a southern name. And, you know, they had all these criteria for having names. I always thought the name Ty would have been great, but they didn't choose it. And uh, my feelings are hurt. And I'm, I'm joking. But anyway, they, they waited to kind of the very end. And, and right, I mean, she's like within a month of being due or something. And they announced to the family, here is the name we have given our son. His name is going to be Sutton. Sutton, with a heavy T. Sutton, not Sutton. Sutton, Sutton. That's the name for our child. Well, I wasn't real familiar with saying Sutton at all. And Amy was down visiting our congregation. I was introducing her to somebody that was visiting. I said, this is my daughter, Amy. She's expecting their second child. And the child's name is going to be Satan. I mean, Sutton. And I, truly, it was an innocent mistake. And I saw Amy's face go, because <gasps> for the first moment, she realized that she had named a child so very close to Satan that you could get with a heavy T. And it was truly an accident. I don't know if it's because I'm a preacher. The word Satan just came out very easily. I don't know what the deal is. But Sutton, I just hadn't practiced my tongue for the word Sutton. And it came out Satan. And we were really hoping he doesn't turn out to be Satan. But that's kind of what Eli had. Eli had sons that essentially were the sons of the devil. They didn't know the Lord. Man, was he a blessed man. Let me tell you what you don't want as a father. You don't want that. I don't want Satan as a grandchild, do you? I've seen some families, that's about what they got. Look at the story. You want to know what the sons of Eli were busy doing? Eli was very old. Now, I can tell you, as an old man, I'm guessing the older you get, Beverage can tell us, the older you get, you really want to hear good things about your kids and grandkids. You really don't want to have problems. But Eli was very old. He heard all about the things that his sons did to Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings by all his people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. You know what the sons of Eli were doing? They were sleeping with women at the door of the temple. I mean, how defiled could you be to be that evil that you're defiling ladies at God's temple it's awful and there's not a dad in the world not a grandfather in the world that wants that for his family he didn't want it for his daughters he didn't want it for his sons sons-in-law daughters-in-law if you're in that situation they don't want that you know what you want to hear you want to hear good reports about your children. You want to hear they're godly men. They're godly ladies. They care about the Lord's church. And I'm telling you, there's not a man in this room that doesn't want that for his family. 
And a lot of that starts with the principles that we're using in our home. And fathers, I just want to talk to you for just a second. You're responsible as a father to teach and instruct and set, a, set the goals, set the boundaries, set the standards in your home. It's at your feet. I'm not saying moms don't have responsibility as well. You do, but I'm telling you fathers, you've got responsibility that we've got a real father problem in America today. We got fathers that have abandoned their families, fathers that are disconnected from their families, fathers that don't care about their families, fathers who spend a lot of time doing other stuff and working and everything else but their family. And I'm telling you, my, my children gave me a pillow to put on a chair because we need more pillows, I promise you, in our room. And it says any man can be a father, but it takes a special person to be a dad. And I want to tell you, you can go make babies all day long, but it takes some, a man of character. It takes a man of wisdom. It takes a man of responsibility to be a dad and to care about his family and to make good decisions and train and teach and help them understand how life works. May God bless your homes. God bless your children. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.